he intends to do in your heart tonight, he will do. If you will but open up your heart and receive his word, because sometimes it's a word of you know, building up and encouraging. It's always building up, but encouragement, but sometimes it's correction as well. And hopefully we're all open to that, whatever it may be. You know, he'll, he'll be faithful in fulfilling whatever it is that he intends for his word to do in your own heart and minister to you. So I'm excited to be here at Refuge because God is with us. His spirit is among us. He indwells us and seals us for the day of redemption. And he is faithful to teach us all things, leading us into all truth is what the spirit's work is. And so tonight um, we are wrapping up Ezra. We are in the final chapter of Ezra next week. Uh, we won't be in Nehemiah. In fact, we will be in a theology class. And then the week after that, we will begin in the book of Nehemiah. So let's begin, though, by um, praying. And then I'll give a little intro to what we have this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for your word. We ask that, Lord, as uh, I have already mentioned, that you would do a special work in each and every one of us this evening. Lord, may we have ears to hear, hearts to obey. May we be willing, Lord, to give you that place in this moment that is right. That is, may we sit at your feet and simply give you our full and undivided attention. And so, Father, we ask for your blessing. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've, uh, we've learned quite a bit in the nine chapters that we've covered up to this moment. We've learned about how the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. That the Lord had entrusted him with the building, uh, with the building of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, according to Ezra 1, 1, and 2. Uh, we've seen the exiles return from Babylon to Jerusalem, led by Zerubbabel. Uh, we've seen the temple work begin with the altar and then move on to the temple itself. But we also saw in that time how it was that adversaries came and tried to hinder the work of the Lord. And King Artaxerxes orders that the work be stopped until King Cyrus's letter of authorization is found and read. And he wasn't sure if it was actually even something that existed. And yet it was found. He was diligent to look for it. And it was found. And the work resumes. The temple is completed. And it is dedicated. We then learn of the second wave of Israelites. Who, who that, that group was led by Ezra. From Babylon to Jerusalem. Remember that they had a four month journey. Going from Babylon to Jerusalem. And we also have learned of Ezra's response to what he learned regarding the compromise of God's people who had returned to Jerusalem. You know, he was thinking that perhaps everyone was on the same page. Everyone was committed to, devoted to, consecrated unto the Lord. And we saw how it was that word came to Ezra, telling him that the people actually had been compromised. And so we saw his response to that last week. And he fasted and he prayed and he confessed and acknowledged God 
knowing that God has been long-suffering and merciful toward them. But at the same time, he was confessing that they were guilty before a holy and righteous God. And now we come to the final chapter, where we will find out what the people's response is to what Ezra had been made aware of regarding their compromise in their intermarrying with other nations when they were commanded by God not to explicitly. God in his perfect wisdom, having foreknowledge and knowing that in so doing that their hearts would be turned away from him and to idolatry. The worship of the gods of the other nations. Ezra has brought this sin to the people's attention. Seeks God in fasting and prayer. As we saw, he threw himself at the mercy of God. And so let's read verse 1 of chapter 10. Which says, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. I'm going to spend some time just in chapter or verse 1. We, um, we see Ezra continuing his mourning. He um, throws himself down. But this was no pretentious act of dramatic manipulation used to get the people to agree with Ezra's stance on this matter. You know, as if he was a child who cried, thrown a tantrum, threw himself down on the ground time and time again in order to get his way. No, he was genuinely a man whose heart was broken, broken before the Lord, a man who is sincerely humbled before the Lord and praying on behalf of all of the people before the Lord. Ezra knew the people had compromised and sinned against the Lord. Ezra knew that God was just. And this is the reason why God, why, the reason why he knew that God had disciplined the nation of Israel. Why was it he had sent them into exile to begin with? As we saw described, Ezra didn't just throw himself down before the Lord but would rise confessing and weeping and then throw himself down before the Lord over and over and over again. This happened for quite some time. He was overwhelmed with grief. And it wasn't his own. Think about your own heart. Oftentimes we detach ourselves from the local church. We compartmentalize and we don't quite weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Ezra couldn't help himself. He's weeping. He's grieving. He's mourning. Not his own sin, but the sin of his people. 
uh, God desires the same heart with you and I. There's much that goes on at the local church that disregards what the Lord desires. The things that matter to God, we, we place off to the side and instead think of our own desires, how it is that they would be fulfilled and, and by those around us. That is not what Ezra was doing. Oh, the heart of Ezra, as I thought more and more about him, was an example of a man who was completely devoted to God, consecrated what he thought the people should be. They were not. He could have very well said, okay, I'm done here. I'm going back to Babylon, perhaps. You know, life is easy and better there. He didn't do that. Instead, he fasted. He prayed, he sought the Lord. He confessed their sins. James 4, 9 and 10 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Ezra knew what Jeremiah had prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. It says, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Ezra knew this, but he also knew in the moment that it had all been realized and yet they were compromised and in that moment knowing his God's character what he desired he was calling upon the Lord he was crying out to him and praying seeking him with all of his heart hoping in God alone well we ought to note in this with Ezra's that he was not pleading with the people he was pleading with God. The question is whether they would acknowledge their sin before God and respond to him with confession and repentance. Oh, we can plead with people. We can exhort. We can admonish. We can rebuke. But unless the Spirit brings conviction upon, upon that person, what I am always in fear of is that they will remain in the same place. Because a man, as it is said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, and I've seen that time and time again. Ezra 
He went to his God. He went to the Lord. He confessed their sins because he knew that his hope was good in him. That with God, all things are possible. Well, in so doing, they did respond. As they gathered around Ezra, it was the the men, the women, the children. A great number of them came and they were watching Ezra mourning, praying, weeping. And they responded by weeping bitterly. Showing in so doing that they were convicted greatly of their sin. Sometimes we we shy away from, we keep away from, we, we, don't, we, we don't want to show our emotions, but there's a time for that. There's a time to express ourselves. There's a time to come alongside and weep. I've been with many a people to where I have no words. I find myself in a room with someone who has just received a very difficult prognosis And honestly, I haven't had words in some instances. So I just weep with them in the family. They were deeply sorrowful. They were sorrowful of their sin. The reason why they came to where Ezra was before the Lord was to confess. And that confession, hopefully also to repent. Acting on what they confess because of a change of mind. It's a change of heart. A change at the center of a person's thoughts and emotions. True repentance comes from the very seat of one's heart. The seat of emotions and thoughts. It's not... Something that is just external. Something that is done in one's own strength. Not because of repetition either. But true repentance is a change of heart. The move of the the Holy Spirit will reveal sin. That is an offense, an offense to God. The reason why he does that is that we may find it to be and agree that it is reprehensible to a holy and righteous God and that we would choose to turn from it. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death because it really not is not a change in the heart, but only an outward change of actions that a person may not continue to experience the consequences of that sin. A heart that is not turned from wickedness and turned toward God in full surrender will eventually return to its vomit of sin and act on its behalf as it originally did. You wonder why You return back. You return back to the same thing 
perhaps it's because you have not genuinely repented of your sin. You just kind of changed your ways to avoid the consequences of it. God desires that none should perish, but that all reach repentance, not a change in behavior. The people wept bitterly in an outward expression of confession before God, right next to Ezra, who was also weeping bitterly and confessing. We need to take note of where the people are and who they are confessing to. They are before God and to God and with those who committed and were affected by the sin. Verse 2 says, And Shechaniah the son of Jael, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took an oath. Ezra was weeping bitterly, confessing and seeking God. And then we see Shechaniah step in, lead a confession of the people and suggest how they could express their genuine repentance. Sometimes it just takes one among your peers. Ezra could have stood there and he could have fallen down before the the Lord and pleaded with the Lord for his mercy, fasting and praying. And in that moment, God stirred the heart of one man who stood up among the people and made a suggestion of how they could express a genuine repentance Shechaniah and what he said confessed their severe and serious sins. And yet even in this, he said this, that there was hope for Israel in spite of this. How could he say that? I mean, they had committed this sin, that this is the very reason why they were sent into exile. And yet he was saying, hope for Israel in spite of this, there is. They deserved God's judgment, didn't they? Yes, but God desires mercy. In fact, he prefers mercy over judgment. You see, Shechaniah knew his God. That's where we ought to be. When we're thinking these thoughts that aren't, we know they're not in line with God's word. We should take them captive and then submit them to the Lord, allowing him to govern those thoughts. Those things that ought not to remain, that we cast away. Those things that ought to remain and be further established, we take in and allow to take root. Shechaniah knew. James 2.13 says, For judgment without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. These were sinners. <laughs> that is who we had before, sinners who were in need of God's mercy. And God says that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. Because Shechaniah knew this, he knew that genuine repentance before God was the only hope that they had. Nothing else. And he listed what was to be done. First of all, let's make an agreement with God to act. Let's make a promise, an oath. Let's do that. Are we all in agreement? Secondly, he says, let's agree to put away the wives and their children from other nations. Very specific action, knowing what the sin was. He called on everyone to agree to this. Put away the wives and their children from, that they had taken on from other nations. Number three, acknowledge this act is in accordance with God's word. It wasn't Ezra's, it wasn't Shechaniah's opinion or suggestion that was not in line with God's word. Shechaniah was calling on them to acknowledge that this act, their response was all in accordance with God's word. Fourthly, it was to be acted upon by those who fear God and reverence his word. This implies that the person or people do love God and want to obey him. They desire that. They are willing to, number one, deny self. Even dying to self. And obeying God's word. Fifthly, he was calling on them to follow through completely. According to God's word, showing faith to God in word and deed. And then came the encouragement from Shechaniah. He said, arise and act because it is your responsibility and you are not alone. Shechaniah said to everyone that they were, they were all in this together. Arise, it is your responsibility to arise. But, listen, we will be here together. We will get through this together. Only be strong and do it. It's interesting because these are the very words that God spoke to Joshua. Only be strong. I will be with you wherever you go. We ought to be willing to take that on ourselves to reflect the character of God toward one another. This is what Shechaniah was doing. Be strong. Be courageous. Stand fast. Do it. Oh, to have a brother who is willing to come alongside and just encourage you like that. In spite of this, there's hope. Let's do these things. And hey, listen, arise and do it, but you're not alone. We're here. We're in this together. Let's go. That's awesome. That, that helps someone to stand up. Yeah, you know what? You're right. That is what God's word says. You don't argue with that, right? Because you're, you're arguing against God's word. You're right. 
Let's go. Be disciplined in acting in what you know needs to be done. You know, uh, yesterday, the night before my um, two granddaughters had stayed the night, and yesterday we spent some time together, and one of my granddaughters, Audrey, uh, she and I, we were, we were working out. She was working out more than I was. She was just in the garage, just, just wanted to be in there. And while she was lifting her two-pound dumbbells and she would do her circuit and go to the elliptical and, you know, she'd, she'd yeah, do her turn on that. She was going back and forth. She asked me something very interesting. I thought, wow, this is coming from an eight-year-old. She said, um, Jeepa, have you ever thought of quitting halfway through your workout? Very insightful. Maybe she was thinking, maybe she knew what I was thinking in the moment, right? Uh, I said, uh, I think about quitting every time I work out. Yes. About halfway through, I, I think about quitting. I've always told myself, what would happen if I just don't quit? But I told her, yeah, every time. Every time, about halfway through, when it starts to get real tough, I think about quitting. I said, but even though it's painful, I know it will result in something good. And because I know that it's good, I just keep going, even though I don't want to. Like, all right. Later on, we were outside and we were setting up just for the family to come and celebrate the 4th of July our Independence Day. The breeze was blowing and it kind of blew over the uh, tablecloth that was on the, one of our tables back there and she started fixing it. I said, oh, thank you for fixing that. She goes, oh, gee, Pong. She says, you know, sometimes we got to do those things that we don't want to do just because they're right to do. I thought, okay, she's, she's listening and she's learning. She arose to do that because she took responsibility for that little task to do it, although she didn't want to do it. That's a small thing, but if done over and over and over again, it could be a lesson for that young lady that will build character within her. And she learns how to do the, that same thing with the things that pertain to God. Well, as we have learned with Ezra and Shechaniah and how it was that he was encouraging them to stand up, to arise and do what was right, what was good in the eyes of the Lord. Ezra stood up and addressed the leading priests and Levites and all of Israel to act and make an oath. And so they did. What he called them to do may seem like something extreme. To put away wives and children that they had taken on. 
Seems a bit extreme. Repentance and obedience to God's word will always seem extreme to anyone who does not understand what it means to love God more than all. And that it was the sin of man to begin with that made an impact on all at the, at the, at the present moment. And even worse, if God was ignored when convicted of sin, that is transgression, that is willfully going against the will of God, At the time that we are made aware. The common response is, oh well, God will forgive me. And all the while not changing anything. You see, these women and children were not to be neglected, but were to be taken care of only apart from the spouse, which compromised God's word to begin with. Shechaniah was not guilty of this sin, by the way, but his father and his uncles were. His family was. And it's interesting, but Shechaniah was not guilty of this. It was those around him, and yet he was impacted himself. And so Ezra called on all to make this covenant, and lo and behold, behold, they all took the oath. Verse 6 says, Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem, and that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited, and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles." Wow. <laughs> I guess they I guess Ezra and Shechaniah was they were taking that this sin seriously. I say it that way because there's not very often that sin is treated that way. It's not repulsive to one. It's treated very lightly. This is how Ezra was viewing it, how he was handling it. Was it not sin that drove our Savior to the cross? I, I believe he took it seriously. Why? Because sin separates us from the Father. And it was only by the atoning shed blood of Jesus Christ that we are justified by faith in him. Ezra now removed himself from the public eye. And he went privately to, to fast because he continued to fast. He, he fasted from, as we read here, from food and water. He was still in a state of mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And it's interesting that those who had returned were being referred to still as exiles. Perhaps it's because they were doing the same things that caused them to go into exile. At any rate, Ezra was fasting and praying, and I believe it was because the people had promised but had not yet acted. 
when you hear people say something and yet not act on it. It should burden the heart of anyone who desires that all be faithful to God and act on who and what they say they believe and love. I love the word of God. Then respond to it. I love God. Well, then keep his commandments. They're not burdensome, but they're a delight. They're a joy. Because you find delight and joy in doing those things which are pleasing to our king. So Ezra was not done mourning. He wasn't done grieving. And he was still fasting. He was still praying. And with this, a proclamation was made to the people after the promise had been made by the people. And he gave them a timeline. He gave them three days. If they do not follow through within three days with what they promised, then they would forfeit their property. You see, at this moment, Ezra was holding them accountable and was using his civil authority given to him by King Artaxerxes to make sure the people follow through with the oath that they had made to God. Can you imagine if we were held to that? Hey, listen, you made an oath to God. And by the authority vested in me, you're going to need to forfeit your property if you don't follow through with that. And I'm going to give you three days. Like, okay, no, I'll follow through. I don't want to forfeit my property. I don't want to, no, I don't want to do that. But Ezra had this civil authority, and he was holding them accountable. They had three days to make good on their oath. A simple, let your yes be yes, should be all that's necessary. Our oath is that. Our word should be good. We should be men and women of integrity. Let your yes be yes. Verse 9 says, Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. The Spirit of God moved the people of God and they, they all assembled. When people respond to the Spirit of God, they act. They act together in unity. They're all of the same mind. They have the same intention at heart. As we see here, there was no delay. Because they themselves refused to disobey with excuses. And that's really what we do. As we make excuses, it's, a, it's simply using excuses to, to be disobedient. After all, serving the Lord and walking with Him requires sacrifice requires us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and then follow the Lord. 
At no time does the Lord say, follow me if it is convenient to you. If the weather is just right and you're feeling up to it. If it benefits you, then come, follow me. No, he says quite the opposite, doesn't he? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. He warns that there will be tribulation, trials, suffering, persecution. He warns us to, so that we may be well prepared for what's going to confront us. He does. And then he gives us his word which says, hey, I am with you all the way until the end of the age. Don't lose heart. I have overcome. With God, all things are possible. Have the mind of Christ. Trust in me. Follow me. Learn from me. All of those things. And so really, there should come a point in our relationship with Jesus Christ to where we fully trust him. We can rest in his faithfulness. We can rest in the hope we have in him. We can rest in his authority, his power, his strength. And we truly find him to be our eternal refuge. Well, at this point, the people refused to disobey with their excuses. The people did not use the weather as an excuse as to why they couldn't gather. You know, we, even, we have a building here, and yet sometimes the weather, if you're honest, sometimes it's, it's raining. It did this last season rain quite a bit. It's like, man, let's turn on the fireplace and just grab a cup of coffee and just watch it on TV. They won't miss us. Or when it's warm, it's like, you know, that hashtag Sunday fun day, you know. And hey, you know, let's, let's not go to church. Let's go to the beach, you know. It's, it's God's creation, so we'll worship there. Sometimes just life gets really difficult. And then we pull back. And yet, with the Lord, he tells us to persevere. Keep going. Keep going. Press in. Trust me. Walk with me. I'll show you things you've never seen before. I'll teach you that you can do things in moments that you think are not possible. They forsook their comforts for the sake of honoring their word. And more importantly, for the sake of honoring God's word. And notice that Ezra, when they all got there, he didn't tell them to go home. Instead, Ezra gets up. Oh, just uh, imagine, I mean... In a, in a group that size, you know some thoughts were flying towards Ezra. It's raining, it's cold. 
You've already only given us three days to act on this. And you threaten us by telling us that you'll take our property if we don't respond within three days. And here he is. He, Ezra gets up before the people. And he calls on them to follow through with what they had confessed. You're all guilty. You're all guilty. Follow through with what you have given an oath to. Repent. Since you're all guilty as charged. Please make a special note of this. Their willingness to gather was not enough. I'm going to help us understand what I'm saying by that. Their willingness to gather was not enough. Sometimes we make statements that reflect this sentiment, saying for others that at least they're willing to go to church, as if that was enough. They're willing to, whatever it is, they're doing this, they're doing that. Oftentimes that's not enough if it is not followed through completely in times of need when repentance, confession and repentance is what is needed in that moment, what's required in that moment. Just their presence is not enough. We've got to be a people of action. You truly love the Lord? then show it by being obedient to God's word. This is what Ezra was doing. That's great, you came. You're here before me. Yes, I know it's raining. Yes, I know it's cold. But you're guilty. Follow through with your oath. Confess, repent, and believe in the Son of God and abide in his word. As it says in Matthew 3, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So it's not enough to gather together and just sing some songs and have a great time of fellowship afterwards if we are not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. There's got to be some evidence of a life that is abiding in Christ. A life of repentance is a life that is reflecting a changed heart A heart that grieves sin and desires to glorify the Lord. And this is what Ezra was calling him to do. Act on your oath. Act on your word. You came alongside me and you, you wept and you were mourning with me. But now it's time to see if you're actually going to act on that which you've promised. And he called them to act. In verse 11... He says, now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. And then verse 12 says, then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, it is so. We must do as you have said, but the people are many, and it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly, 
Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. So the, the people, they, they still agree. They did not oppose. They did not take an offense that Ezra rebuked them and that he called them to follow through with what, what they had promised, their oath. And that he wasn't compassionate enough to call them when the weather was perhaps better. <laughs> they agreed. But they said this isn't a matter that can be taken care of overnight, but needed some time to do. They all, they all acknowledged this. And made a wise request. Okay, break us up into groups. Have officials oversee the process with people going at scheduled times and presenting themselves. They said until... God's wrath is turned away. And yet in this agreement, it all seemed that things were going in the right direction, and then there was opposition. Verse 15 says, Only uh, Jonathan, the son of Azael, and Jaziah, the son of Tikva, opposed this, and Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, supported them. And now, we don't know why they opposed this, but they did, even a Levite, as we see here. And in reality, all four were opposing God. And the bottom line is their disagreement didn't change what was true. Verse 16. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers, houses according to their fathers' houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. So the question is, why examine? Why not just put the wives away? Well, because within the people, there may have been some wives that have forsaken their native practices of idolatry and chosen to follow and worship the God of Israel. In that case, the men were not compelled to put their wives away. They were, in reality, Israelites. They had been converted and chosen to follow and worship the God of Israel. Now, verses 18 through 44, I'm going to read a couple of verses or a few verses here. Verse 18 says, Now there were found uh, some of the sons of the priests who had married foreign women, Messiah, Eliezer, Jerob, and Gedaliah, some of the sons of Jeshua, the son of uh, Josedach, and his brothers. They pledged themselves to put away their wives, and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. In verses 20 through 43 is a list of everyone who followed through with this. Verse 44 says, All these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even born children. Of all the exiles who had returned, there were about 114 wives who refused to forsake their idolatry and were put away. Which... If you do numbers, uh, this is actually less than half, one half of 1% of the totality of the people that were gathered there in Jerusalem and Judah. So then, one half of 1%, what's the big deal? 
what's the big deal? It's like so such a small number. Like, why? Why bring everyone together? Why go through all of this trouble? For just one half of 1% of all of the people here. Jot down, if you're taking notes, just jot down and look up the son of Achan, or the, the, uh, the sin of Achan. Take a look at that. Um, consider the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Very serious. Any sin, it's, a, it's falling short of just the mark of God. We ought to be holy for God is holy. Walking in righteousness. Being led by the Spirit that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All of these things are before us, and we already talked about the atoning blood of Christ that was shed because of our sins and for our sins. So the big deal? Well, a little compromise is not okay with God. You think it's okay? Not okay. Galatians 5.9 says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. 1 Peter 1.16 says, since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And then Romans 12, 19 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Everyone was included. And they offered a ram. Which by that, this is what they were saying. By offering the ram, it means that they had sinned with full knowledge that they were acting contrary to the word of God. When they were intermarrying with the other nations, they did so knowing that they were opposing God's word. And so they brought a ram to offer to the Lord a burnt offering completely consumed by the Lord. This was a transgression. The, the women who were still regarded as foreign women they married. Those who had proclaimed their faith to God of Israel were no longer foreign women, but Israelites. So these who, who were considered foreign women were considered pagans, opposed to God, walking in the ways of the nations. The men had married them knowingly and willingly, and so they made this offering. Now as we see how God received those who had converted to Judaism... We realize that, that the people of God were grounded in faith and not race. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. For as many, of you were, uh, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Praise God for that. And so it was with them. As they acknowledged the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
they were received and brought into the family of God, the people of God, who were governed by him. Now, what we have here overall is Reformation. And this is what, was, what is referred to uh, in this chapter in what Ezra led. It was a Reformation. As we consider the state of our nation, the state of our world today, there is a lot of talk about civil reformation. But civil reformation always follows genuine humility before God. A personal grieving of sin, a surrender of self, repentance for personal and corporate sin before God. Which then translates into immediate action that reflects this. Listen, no human effort will do this without the heart of man being transformed by the Spirit of God toward God. Won't happen. Ezra had no intention to bring about civil reformation. His whole intention in grieving, in confessing, in fasting, in pleading, throwing himself at the mercy of God was simple. He loved God and he desired that all of God's people would also humble themselves before God, confessing their sins, turning from their sins, and turning toward God that they would be a pure people, a holy people that are set aside, sanctified unto the Lord. And so it is with us today. We ought to be a people who are set aside from the world and unto the Lord. That we ourselves would have hearts that are completely surrendered and find great joy and great pleasure in serving the Lord in him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, again, the example of a people who were willing to repent of their sin. A people, Lord, who acknowledged their transgression against you and you alone. And Lord, you promised them That if they confess and repent of their sin and call out to you that you will hear, that you will heal, that you will return them to that place. And Lord, you were faithful to do it. I thank you for the example of Ezra, a man who was, oh, a man whose heart was completely given over to you, a man who led his people, your people, Lord, to return to you, to turn from those things that are an offense to you, and Lord, get things right. And so, Father, I pray that that would be the heart of your people here, Lord, knowing how it is that you desire mercy over judgment, Lord, that you desire mercy over sacrifice, 
that we ourselves, you telling us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that it may drive us by your kindness to you. Lord, that we would know who you are and what you desire and that we would be willing to humble ourselves before you. That as we confess those sins, that we walk with you and find great pleasure and joy in doing so. As we, you are our hope and you are our, our prize, Lord. I thank you, Father, and I thank you for your love for us and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.